Thank you, Catherine, and good morning, everyone. Let's have a word of prayer as we uh, approach this uh, passage together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that these things were not done in a corner and that they are not idle tales. We pray that the truth of what happened then and there may be confirmed in our minds and that the knowledge that these things have come to pass and that we worship a living saviour may be true and real for us as we seek to live in him and with him and for him in these days. Amen. Amen. Well, may I begin by saying what a great privilege it is for you (laughs) and for me to be uh, reacquainting ourselves with the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke has been described as possibly the most beautiful book ever written. But it's more than a beautiful book. It has plenty of other things to offer. And even though we are only considering the first four verses this morning, there is more, far more, than I can deal with in the time available. But I hope that we will benefit from our time uh, together. I will uh, try and help both you and me by... (coughs) putting, because it's quite an inflation-packed message this morning, Uh, so I'll put the main points up on the screen to try and lead us through uh, the main things that I want to say. Uh, But if you do have a Bible open in front of you, that would be great. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, page 1025 in our church (coughs) Bibles. So we are introducing Luke's Gospel, and in the coming Sunday mornings, we'll be working our way through it, or at least the first few chapters. So I'd like to introduce you, or reintroduce you, to Luke and his Gospel. Beginning by the question, well, who was Luke? I need to point out to you that, strictly speaking, all four Gospels are anonymous. (coughs) Um, But the names uh, that we now... uh, Uh, are connected with each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were connected with them at a very early stage. And there are plenty of reasons, some of which will become clear over the next few minutes, as to why why Luke has uh, only ever been the one name that has been associated with the third Gospel. So who was this man, Luke? Well, he was a physician. He's, he's mentioned two or three other times in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the, to the Colossians, refers to him as a dear friend, but also as a physician. So he was an educated, a cultured man, apart from anything else. And we've all already seen, and we have a reminder of this in Paul's second letter to Timothy, that Luke was a friend. In fact, Luke may well have been the very last friend at Paul's side before Paul himself was executed because of his Christian faith and witness. Because uh, 2 Timothy is the last letter that we have from Paul, and you can see there that Paul says, now only Luke is with me. 
So a friend, a good friend, a loyal friend, as well as being an educated man, a cultured man, and a doctor. Who else was he? Well, I've suggested to you already that he was certainly the author, uh, not only not of one, but of two of our New Testament books, because he wrote uh, two volumes, Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. At the beginning of the Acts, you will see that he refers back to the Gospel as his former treatise. In fact, Luke, we have more from Luke in the New Testament than from any other writer, including Paul, fully a quarter of the New Testament writings then have been written by Luke. Two long, interesting, wonderful books, his Gospel and the Act of the Apostles. But we also know Luke, that Luke was a traveller. When he came to write the Acts of the Apostles, on four occasions, um, the description, the story, turns from Luke talking about him and them to us and we. Clearly, Luke himself has become a part of the story. Um, And it works like this. Uh, There's um, a map, and we first come across Luke referring to, including himself in the story, as uh, we, as a companion of Paul and of others, in Acts 16, and in a place called Troas, towards the top of the map there. Uh, The the narrative there turns from they to we. And from that time onwards, uh, on, say, several different occasions, Luke uh, talks about we as he travels with Paul on various missionary journeys. So that's Luke. Now for the introduction to his gospel, which you can see there, which uh, Catherine read to us a few moments ago. Four short verses, but packed with uh, interesting, important, fascinating information. The scholars tell us that these four verses are written in a style that's typical of the way in which historical writing would begin in those days. They're written in Luke's best Greek, we are told, and it's the kind of uh, writing that would make a reader, Theophilus in the first instance, whoever he was, um, uh, open his eyes with expectation about here's somebody who's serious about what he's going to be telling me about. But I just want to point out to you that my aim this morning is precisely the same as Luke's aim when he wrote to Theophilus. Luke's aim was so that Theophilus might know the certainty of the things he had been taught. And that's my aim for you this morning. So you may be certain of the things that you have been taught and over the coming Sunday mornings will be taught concerning the things that Luke says happened um, regarding Jesus, the things that he said and did and accomplished. So I just want to take you through that process, picking out six different steps in this process of certain things having happened, that in the end, Theophilus and we can be certain happened. And the first stage in the process I'm picking out from these first four verses of Luke chapter 1 is that uh, Luke refers to certain things that have been fulfilled among us. Please note the wording there. Luke doesn't simply say certain things happened. 
He says that certain things have been fulfilled. Already, Luke is saying, something is going on that I'm reporting, which is to do with God's work in the world. Certain things have been accomplished. They didn't just happen by chance. They have been accomplished by God. Note the wording, please. And if I can point you now to the, towards the end of Luke's Gospel, to the time when, just after the crucifixion, and on the same day that the tomb, Jesus' tomb, was found to be empty, two desolate disciples were walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You may know the story. They are desolate because they know that Jesus has been uh, crucified. They do not know that he has risen from the grave. That Jesus himself, the risen living saviour, catches up with them and talks to them. And what he says to them is this, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then he went to their home, broke bread with them, and their eyes were opened, and they saw that it was the living, risen Saviour. But do you see how Jesus himself says, these things haven't simply happened, they have been fulfilled in accordance with God's ancient promises through Moses and the prophets. Hence the importance of the Old Testament as well as the New for us as believers today. So certain things have been fulfilled among us. A second thing that Luke says to Theophilus and to us is that these things have been handed down to us by eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What eyewitnesses? Well, first and uh, most obviously, the apostles, the disciples. But do you remember when the twelve became eleven because of Judas's betrayal? That place needed to be filled. And Luke records how that process happened in the Acts of the Apostles. And this is what was said. That Judas's place needed to be filled in the body of the disciples by, from the body of men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism, that's John the Baptist, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, a witness with us of his resurrection. Clearly then defining the twelve disciples as having to be witnesses of Jesus' life and ministry, and especially of his resurrection. So Luke and the other evangelists would have been basing their records very much on the testimony of one or more of the twelve disciples. But there are strong hints in Luke's gospel that he drew on other eyewitnesses too, including and especially women. Luke records quite early on in chapter 8 that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Susanna and others supported Jesus' ministry from their own resources. He also records that they were present at the crucifixion where many others had scarpered. 
And, they all, and he also records that these women were the first witnesses of the resurrection itself. And you, you remember the time when Simon uh, denied the Lord three times and slunk off and went outside and slunk off. That is surely the point when Simon's witness stops because he had, he, he had disappeared for a while. It's precisely at that time we start to hear again of these women observing witnesses and taking to heart what was going on regarding the crucifixion and the resurrection. It was the women who told Simon Peter that Jesus had risen from the dead. Not only those women, but I think also another very special woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Have you noticed how not once but twice in the second chapter of Luke regarding the birth and childhood of her son Jesus, we are told that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Do you remember that? Now, how did Luke know what she was thinking? (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) She, or somebody that she had talked to, told him. I think there are other indications too that we have Mary's eyewitness and experiences in Luke's gospel as well. Uh, Witnesses from these women and from Mary constituting some of the material that is covered only in Luke's gospel and not in any of the other three. Uh, Just pause for a moment. It's a glass at my watch. Um, to tell you the story of a little girl who wouldn't say please. There was once a little girl who, many years ago, who one boxing day went to her grandparents' house with the rest of her family, a house that was just five doors down the same road that she lived in, not far from here, in what we call Little Wales, just around the corner from Mr. Cooper. (laughs) Uh, This little girl, whose name was Peggy, saw on the mantelpiece a a little toy ambulance. And she looked at it, and she loved it. And she said, I want it. The grandmother picked up the ambulance and was about to give it to her when the little girl's mother said, no, don't give it to her until she asks for it properly. So, what do you say, Peggy? I want it. The grandmother pleaded with the mother, oh, give it to her, do. And the mother refused, saying, no, not until she asks for it properly. Peggy's sisters pleaded with her, oh, Peggy, just say please. And she wouldn't say please. I want it. And her mother wouldn't let her have it. So she never did get the toy ambulance. In fact, she was carried home by her uh, grandfather, kicking and screaming, laid on her bed, and she spent the whole night in tears, but never said please, and so never got her toy ambulance. And she would tell that story year after year about the ambulance that she never got, until many years later... Probably about 50 years later, when she had grown up and had children and grandchildren of her own, 
she was visiting the home of a cousin, Cousin Joan. And they were talking about various things from the past, and Peggy uh, started talking about the story of the ambulance, the toy ambulance that she never had. And Joan disappeared for a moment and came back with a little package, unwrapped it, and there was the ambulance. And Joan said to Peggy, what do you say? <laughs> and, Peggy said, and Peggy said, please? And she was at last given the ambulance. And Peggy used to tell that story until well into her old age. There she is, nearly the age of 90, with the ambulance now safely in her possession, in her hand. You can see it there, telling the story once again to her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. I know all about this because Peggy is my mother, was my mother. And, uh, and I know it's all true, partly because she used to tell the story, partly because the, the, the ambulance still exists in our family, and partly because I have a recording uh, of uh, my mother telling the story yet one more time. And, uh, and uh, why am I telling you this story? Because Luke talks about people who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now, you've got to remember that in Bible times, it was much more an oral culture than a written culture. They didn't write a lot of things down. Uh, they didn't have uh, tape recorders or video uh, recorders or cameras or anything like that. So they relied on that kind of process, telling the story over and over again. And if the story came from an accredited witness, somebody who was involved with the story or was an eyewitness of it, then that person would be referred to as a servant of the word, a custodian of the truth. And that's precisely what, Ruth tells, uh, what Luke tells us happened regarding... Uh, regarding the events surrounding Jesus' uh, uh, annunciation, birth, childhood, adulthood, teaching, death, and new life. Eyewitnesses who became custodians of the truth, passing the stories down. Just that story remained accurate and intact for over 50 years, and for many of those years... If she told the story wrong, somebody else could have said, one of her sisters could say, no, it didn't happen like that. Just the same with Luke and his eyewitnesses. There, were pe- there would have been people who could say, no, you Luke, you got it wrong. It didn't happen that way, it happened this way. Thank you very much. I've been watching that uh, worry, uh, with anxiety earlier, but my mind was taken up with other things. Many have been, uh, uh, had a go at... Um, I'm so sorry about this. My, uh, my watch is playing tricks on me. Luke says many have undertaken already to drop an account of these things, so Luke is adding to that, including Mark. We believe that Mark's is the earliest of the four Gospels, and uh, uh, we believe, and I'm strongly convinced, that the, hand, the fingerprints of Peter the Apostle Peter, are all over the Gospel of Mark. And Luke includes Mark, much of Mark's material. About 40% of Luke uh, consists or, uh, overlaps with Mark's Gospel. 
But Luke says, in addition to basing his account on Mark's gospel, he has carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He's saying, basically, I have visited the places, I have interviewed the people, and I have read the documents. Where and when we first met Luke up in Troas, and he was a Gentile, probably from that kind of area, Luke Luke did not come from the Holy Land, from Palestine. He didn't come from Jerusalem. But we find, in Acts 21, Luke and Paul in Jerusalem. And then Paul is imprisoned in Caesarea, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, for two years, leaving Luke in Jerusalem. What do you think Luke was doing in Jerusalem? Twiddling his thumbs for for two years? I don't think so. I think he found uh, Christians, believers, including those who had been with Jesus, the women, Mary herself, if she was still alive, or people who had known Mary, and he talked to them, interviewed them, and got it, as it were, from the horses' mouths, uh, from Jerusalem and the surrounding area. So Luke has gathered this material and says it's good, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. Orderly in the sense of using these best available sources. Orderly in the sense of covering Jesus' birth to resurrection. It, he places events in, uh, in the context of world events. Uh, half a dozen or more references to rulers and to timings and so on in the beginning of Luke chapter 3. And also he bases his story, structures around a journey that Jesus takes with his his disciples towards Jerusalem, orderly in those kinds of ways. And Luke has done all of this so that Theophilus and we may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. He knew and we know something about the Christian faith. He wants us, and I would like you, to be sure that these things happened as we go through Luke's gospel. You need to know that these things happened. How can you trust in a saviour if you do not know whether he even lived? What his death was like, and especially that his tomb was empty, that he lives. So, Luke wants us to be certain that these things really happened and that this constitutes good news. Uh, It's not just history. It is gospel. It is good news. (coughs) That the one who was mocked, insulted, spat upon, flogged and killed, as Jesus predicted in Luke 18, is also the one who is wonderfully, gloriously alive. Luke 24, 6. He is not here, for he has risen. We can trust Luke on all of those historical details. So when Luke records something as remarkable and unique as that, surely we can trust him on that unique event too. It's good news of joy and peace, just as the angels sang. It's good news for Gentiles and Jews alike, just as Mary sang in her Magnificat. It's good news for the needy, just as Jesus preached in his first sermon in Nazareth. It's good news for the lost, as Jesus said to Zacchaeus, that rich outcast. Rich and an outcast because he was a tax collector who'd been cheating his customers. But he came down from that tree. Jesus spends time with him in his home. And Jesus says, this is why I came, to seek and to save what was lost. 
It's good news as we go through Luke's gospel, good news for all those kinds of people and others too, including you and me. This is good news. Good news that something really happened and that we ourselves can place our faith and trust and we can live by this and if called to, we can die for this as well if our God calls us to. so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught and will be taught in the coming few weeks on these Sunday mornings. Let us pray. Once again, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can be assured of the facts that we have been taught and that we believe. We can have confidence to answer the questions of those who ask us about evidence And we can face up to those who celebrate doubt and uncertainty as if they were virtues. We know we cannot be certain about everything. But at these facts of our Christian faith, we need to know, we may know. And by your grace, we do know that these things are so. May we live by them all the days of our lives. Amen.